Amen. Surpassing Jesus, the forgiveness that redefines judgment. I have a lot of good memories growing up. Uh, my mom and dad. Um, my mom was a great, is a great woman. Yikes. My mom's a great lady. And one of the... There's so many memories when I think about my mom and dad growing up. One of the ones that's seared most in my mind is she went back to work as a piano teacher, so she taught piano in our home. And I can remember from the earliest of ages, my brothers and I would be downstairs listening to my mom teach piano lessons. And we had to be quiet. And for the most part, that didn't go real well. Uh, but every once in a while, we managed to stay quiet. And I used to love and enjoy listening to my mom sit and just play the piano on her own. And my mom wasn't a concert pianist, but to me she was. She could play. It used to calm us. And I can remember even holiday songs, singing, standing around the piano while she played and we sang. Chopin, she would play and I would sit and, and hope that someday I would understand the complexity of what was happening, even though I understood how beautiful the sound was. My mom also loved uh, musicals. Sound of Music, South Pacific, old black and white films. And she just d drew in me or sketched in me a love for music. I suppose my love for music comes from my mom. One of my favorite musicals of all time is Les Miserables. Great movie, or great, well, it's a movie now. A couple of different versions of the movie. You may have seen it in New York. I had the privilege to see it in Seattle and in London. That was wonderful. And you know the, the scene, don't you, when Jean Valjean is released from prison. He was in prison for a number of years because he stole bread to feed his family. Now, I'm not going to condone that kind of behavior, but my guess is we would all think about that at least, if not in fact do that, if the situation was that dire. And in the opening scene of all the musicals and even the movies and films, there's that scene where he's released from prison and he stumbles into a church and a priest welcomes him in and gives him a hot meal, warm bed, place to sleep, extends hospitality and grace in ways that probably most of us here would never consider doing. In the middle of the night, as the story goes, and as you probably recall, Jean Valjean wakes up and he steals a bunch of silver and he heads out. He's captured by the police. Ex-con, bag of silver, asked where he got it, and he says, I got it from the priest at the church, and they bring him back to the church. And the amazing scene that I love so much, Jean Valjean is standing there with the police and the priest and a couple of 
nuns that are there as well, and they're looking aghast. And there the ex-con stands, condemned. What now will happen? This morning we're looking at a text entitled, The Forgiveness That Redefines Judgment. And in a moment I'm going to read a text that I think helps us make the move from judgment, condemnation, to forgiveness. It sounds so simple, yet humanly so far-fetched. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. That was his custom. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the theological police, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group of men and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Yeah, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus, knowing the law quite well, bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Total silence. I'm sure the woman was quaking in her boots. I'm sure the men were ready to throw a few stones. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Anybody want one? My guess is the stones were larger than these, but I still think it would hurt. Again, he stooped down and he, he wrote on the ground again, dramatically. We don't know what he wrote either time that he wrote in the dust. He just started writing again. And at the writing in the dust of the dirt a second time, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left. That one was heavier. <laughs> Until only one was left. With a woman still standing there. Jesus straightens up. And he asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, 
She said, not one. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The reading of God's Word. Difficult text to read. Difficult story to hear. Even more difficult to put into practice. And yet what a great text on a day when we, we surround ourselves with the elements. Profound story, three dramatic scenes that may, may, just may help us move from condemnation Judgment, nothing personal, to forgiveness. I threw my arm out, I guarantee you, I probably couldn't even get it there. Three scenes, scene one. You know, in the first part of the scene, the leaders are more interested in their version of the law, their version of the facts. That's all they really cared about. Their version of the law, their version of the facts. Now, the law required a lot more to happen than what we were given here in this story. You see, not just the woman was supposed to be brought out, but also the man. Here, here. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, thank you for a little comedic relief, because it's a, it's a tough story. There also should have been a trial, some kind of a trial. Doesn't appear to have been any kind of trial. They just freak her out and mob around her. But there should have been a trial. There should have been an opportunity for clarity and for her to ask and him to ask for forgiveness. And most importantly, the purpose of the trial for the man and the woman in due course was restoration. And if you notice the story, none of that happened. None of it happened. This was callous. It was demeaning. It was frightening. It was humiliating. And it did not follow the law. It followed the leader's version of what they wanted the law to be in this moment. Because at the end of the day, they wanted to trap Jesus. Does any of us do that? You ever done that? Something happens in your life? You do it to somebody else, or somebody else does something to you? We run it through the grid of our own version, of our own truthiness based on what we only want to remember <laughs> versus what actually happened or what we're actually supposed to do in the situation as the law requires. 
Yeah, we should probably all have one of these in our hand. The good news about this story is we're not left there. And as if this isn't dramatic enough, it even gets more dramatic, scene two. I call scene two drama in the dust. I wrote that myself, thank you very much. You see, on the Sabbath, you could not write more than two letters on a parchment. That's the law. However, on the Sabbath, you can write anything in the dust, in the dirt. You can write as much as you want. See, Jesus knew the loopholes. The leaders of the law just wanted to close them in. What do you think he wrote? Now, this is conjecture. It's imagination. But this is what folks tend to believe. What did he write that first time when he bent down to write either with his finger or some even say maybe with a stick? At my age, I'd probably use a stick. I couldn't get that far down. There's an amazing text in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13 that says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of the living water. You see, many people believe that Jesus wrote that verse, whether He wrote the whole verse or just Jeremiah 17.13, in the dust. Maybe he just wrote Jeremiah 17, 13. Because they knew the law. And they knew that there was some aspect of having your name written in the wrong book of the dust. Because you wanted your name written in the book of life. There was a contrast between having your name written in the book of life with having your name written in the book of dust. And the only way you could have your name written in the book of dust is if you turned your back on the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion of the love of God, if you say no way to that, one's name would be written in the book of the dust. So perhaps he wrote Jeremiah 17, 13. Yeah, sure, adultery is shameful, but so are the actions of the leaders. The ones that knew everything. The ones that had it all down. The ones that broke protocol and process. Because they had an agenda. And then he bent down a second time and continued to write in the dust. Wouldn't you want to be here for this story? As long as you didn't have a stone in your hand. But the truth is, we all always do. Maybe he started 
And we don't know, but maybe he just started writing the names of the leaders who stood there with a clenched fist holding a rock. And dramatically, one by one, they came to their senses and they dropped their stones. Try to save the stage. And walked away. There would be no stoning that day. The good news in this text is this practice probably was never really followed. But on this day, they came close. And then scene three, we got to come up for air soon, don't we? We got to turn this story, because after all, we're in church and we want to feel good, at least by the time we leave. I call scene three total pardon. Total pardon. Complete absolution. Not acquittal. See, Jesus judged the action, not the person. The image of God still remains strong in an individual, man and a woman. There would be no condemnation that day. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. No condemnation. Total and complete pardon. And Jesus does some amazing things. No one here is condemning you, then neither shall I. Go and leave your life of sin. He calls her into a new way of being. He upholds the law. He suggests adultery still misses the mark. But in Jesus Christ, the consequences now change. From death to life. From stoning to salvation. From deportation to deliverance. The rules change now in Jesus Christ. He bypasses the whole temple system and he acts out of his divine role being the Son of God in Jesus Christ. Total pardon. Amen? Now, in a story like this, we have to be careful of a couple of things. One of the aspects we need to be careful of is the fallacy of hope, or the fallacy of too much hope. And it goes something like this. Well, because God is all about total pardon, I can do whatever I want. Eh, 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 eh. 
And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, no, he comes along and he says, no, that's, that's just cheap grace. That doesn't mean anything. Some folks will live there. Other folks live in what I call a fallacy of despair. And it goes something like this. You know what? For what I did is just beyond forgiveness. There's no way I can be forgiven for what I've done. No way. No way. I'm dirt. And there are people who carry that type of regret and resentment. That baggage of pain from the past that creates more fear and anxiety for the future because of that past than it does to alleviate pardon. If you can't forgive yourself, stop trying. Jesus already did. Just throw the rock down and walk away. I'll buff it out later. Because Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus doesn't acquit. Jesus pardons. Totally and completely. And that, my friend Bill, is called absolution. What I see happening in this text, I've mentioned before, but it would be interesting to digest it more fully. Judgment and its consequences in this story moved from retributive justice or retribution only to restorative justice rooted in grace and mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. The movie I'm thinking of of Les Mis is with Liam Neeson as Jean Valjean. And they're standing either in the early morning hours before the sun has come up or just as the sun is coming up and it's, it's tense. An accused man of stealing candlesticks with the police who would haunt him for the rest of the movie. A priest who already extended forgiveness and grace. And some nuns who really weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Could have heard a pin drop. Drew you in in a moment's notice. And the priest, thankfully it was the priest who said, Jean Valjean, it is so, it's good to see you again. You, you forgot the candlesticks. Let me get them for you. They'll fetch the most amount of money. And he runs to the table, or wherever it was, it was a few years ago, and he, he takes the candlesticks and he puts them in his bag. I can't believe you forgot my gift of the candlesticks. Total pardon. Pardon. 
And Jean Valjean goes ahead and pays it forward the rest of his life. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Can you think of someone who has hurt you so deeply that forgiveness seems impossible? Or are you carrying something that you've done in the past that never lets you go? And you just can't seem to shake it? Can you think of something? Constantly throwing stones at your own being? Let it go. Not because I said so, or because you either can or can't. I'm going to quote you, Bill. But because of the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and live a new life. Free from the carnage of, of this nonsense. Let's pray. The world wants retribution. The world wants retributive justice. <laughs> and the realm of God comes along and says, restorative justice. And we're caught between two worlds, Lord, trying to choose the laws of the land that demand retribution and the laws of the only realm that really matters as followers of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that is seeking and saving and restoring lost sheep, lost coins, lost people. May we live into the profound reality of those two kingdoms in conflict and as your Holy Spirit enlivens us to choose may we choose as followers of the Christ the way of the realm of God in your name we pray